Greetings and welcome to the Animal Wellness Podcast, the official podcast of Animal Wellness Action. Hi, I'm your host, Joseph Grove. On this show, we talk about animals from the perspective of people who care about them and have the ability to improve their lives by influencing culture and supporting laws and regulations accordingly. To stay up to date with all of our news and information, subscribe to this podcast, receive our free newsletters and more, visit animalwellnessaction.org. Wayne Paselli and Marty Irby are normally both with me. We have Marty Irby today. He is the executive director and chief lobbyist for the organization based in the nation's capital. He starts us off every week by doing his legislative update. So, Marty, glad to have you on the show. And um, what is going on on the Hill? Absolutely, Joe. Well, it's great to be here with you, as always. Just got back myself from a Really great lunch. Wayne and I were with Congressman Buddy Carter from Georgia and Congressman John Curtis from Utah, working with both of those members on the FDA Modernization Act, which is a real top priority for us. Uh, One of the top three or four bills we think we can get passed and signed into law this Congress. As I said in our previous episode, now when you get into a second year of a Congress, especially at the end of March, you've already gotten through the first quarter. We're down to the grind and we are really focused on just three or four things that we can get done. So the FDA Modernization Act that would simply make animal testing mandates at the FDA no longer a requirement, but an option and allow for the best science to be used has really gained a lot of steam. Had a hearing in the House of Representatives a few weeks ago, and now we have 70 co-sponsors in the House. Uh, We even just got Republican Mark Wayne Mullen from Oklahoma on board as a co-sponsor. I don't think we've ever seen him co-sponsor an animal bill before. We really appreciate him joining on board and several other new folks as well. As I've mentioned before, Senator uh, Rand Paul and Senator Cory Booker are leading that effort on the Senate side. And we hope to get that included in a larger piece of legislation called PDUFA that reauthorizes FDA's user fees each five or six years, uh, kind of similar to the farm bill. Uh, It comes up every few years for reauthorization and things are looking really good right now. Second, of course, uh, and not to say it's our our second priority, it's really been our top priority, but the Big Cat Public Safety Act, uh, our last episode, we had Carol Baskin on, that's really gained a lot of momentum, 256 co-sponsors in the House and 46 co-sponsors in the Senate. So we have an overwhelming majority of the Congress on board We simply just need to get it to a vote, and it's all on the leadership in the Congress right now on that front. We're also working to advance the Bear Protection Act, also known in the Senate as the Bear Poaching Elimination Act that deals with the trade of bear gallbladders as the Chinese government has been promoting the use of bear bile from those gallbladders as a treatment for COVID-19 with no scientific basis. Uh, The bill actually passed the U.S. Senate twice more than 20 years ago by unanimous consent where all 100 senators agreed that it would pass. And Senator Mitch McConnell, who's now the Republican leader, was the leader of the bill back then. We still have his support. And the only obstruction was quite honestly, uh, Congressman Don Young from Alaska in the House of Representatives, who uh, unfortunately passed away just uh, a few days ago. Um, but we, we don't foresee any uh, opposition in either chamber at this point in the game and uh, hope we can get that one through. It's long, long overdue, very similar to the shark fin ban that we've been working on. And of course, the uh, America Competes Act that we worked on earlier in the year still contains uh, both the House and the Senate versions contain the Shark Fin Sales Elimination Act. um, And the House bill contains a provision that we ran as an amendment with Congresswoman Nancy Mace from South Carolina and Congresswoman Rosa DeLauro from Connecticut that would ban mink farming in the U.S. because minks are the number one super spreader of COVID besides humans. Uh, Last, just want to mention a few things that we were able to get done in the appropriations process for 2022. We got record-breaking funding for enforcement of the Horse Protection Act, a little over $3 million for this year prior to 2020. Before we started lobbying for this funding, they had never had more than $705,000 in 50 years since the Horse Protection Act was enacted in 1970. We also maintain the de facto ban on horse slaughter uh, on U.S. soil by defunding the inspections for horse slaughter plants that's been in place for a little over a decade and got some more funding for the use of PZP birth control Uh, for the wild horses out on the range that we've been desperately working so hard to save 
and are being rounded up in record numbers. So appreciate everyone's action out there. You guys have done an amazing job contacting your members of Congress. Just keep doing it. You're doing an amazing job and we appreciate you so much. And I want to give a big shout out to Zach Scow and Jennifer Skiff. They have done tremendous work helping people bring their dogs back into the U.S. Uh, They had previously not been able to bring these dogs back in because of the CDC's ban on imports from over 100 countries, but they're doing fantastic work you're going to hear about today. And I say bravo to you two. Amazing work. Yeah, thank you, Marty. I appreciate that. It it ought to be a fascinating show. And certainly, I know the animals and our donors and supporters appreciate the work you're doing on the Hill for their betterment. If you want to learn more about how you can help, you can go to animalwellnessaction.org. There are all kinds of ways, links to action items. You can easily, through our site, sign petition. Uh, After petition, you can send notes to your representatives in Congress. And, of course, all of this work uh, does take a great deal of financial support. We're always grateful for any help uh, you can give us there. So, Marty, I understand you you want to hop off. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure you and the president, um, you know, have a round round of golf later today or something. Not sure what you're doing, but, but whatever it is, I wish you good luck with it. No, thank you all. And uh, I'm just going to watch videos of Zach's dog, Cora, because she's so amazing. So maybe he can tell you a little bit about her. You all have You're a legend, Marty. Uh, a legend, so Marty. true. So, Marty are. Irby, ladies and gentlemen, advocate and international TikTok star, Marty Irby. So. <laughs> Uh, and indeed, the topic today uh, is is dogs. If you love dogs, uh, you are going to love this episode because I know when I first started to hear about what was going on, it really uh, affected me emotionally. I became very invested uh, in the work of Jennifer and Zach on it, and, and we'll get to them, but I, I want to say just a couple of words about who they, they are. Jennifer Skiff is an award-winning journalist, author, and animal advocate. Her best-selling inspirational books, The Divinity of Dogs and God Stories, are published in seven languages. Her latest book, Rescuing Ladybugs, has received three first-place literary prizes, including a Gold Nautilus Award. For more than a decade, Jennifer has traveled the world working as an investigative environmental correspondent for CNN. Her independently produced programs about animals have aired on the Discovery Channel and other networks globally. Among other honors, she's received the prized Environmental Media Award. For more than 25 years, she has helped lead animal welfare organizations. She is a trustee of the Dogs Refuge Home in Australia and an advisor to Animal Aid USA and the Institute for Humane Education. In 2019, she joined our organization as the director of international programs uh, based out of Washington, D.C. She specializes in public policy, treaty enforcement, and corporate reform initiatives to benefit animals and people globally. She is also currently serving as a diplomatic strategist for SPCA International. So, Jennifer, that's a mouthful. Gosh, um, it's certainly great to have you on board with the organization and to have you as a guest today and we'll say howdy to you more formally in a moment after i go on to zach zach scow he is the founder and director of programs and outreach at marley's mutts an organization he started while in liver failure zach i was reading uh, the bio you sent and and what a fascinating story you have some elements of it i can relate to so Perhaps one day we can have you on a show just to talk about uh, your adventures overcoming uh, liver disease, which you you say in your bio is the result of years of heavy drinking. At one point, you were given less than 90 days to live without a transplant. Uh, Suicidal and depressed, Zach gave up life as he knew it and turned his will and life over to the care of his rescue dogs, who faithfully showed him the way. Uh, Zach believes dogs are medicine healers, therapists, workout buddies, etc., and they ought to be protected, honored, and rescued. Having considered himself a throwaway human, he relates to the plight of the throwaway dog, believing there is no such thing as a throwaway. Uh, Marley's Mutz has been chugging along ever since, rescuing more than 8,000 dogs now. He's developed programs like Positive Change, uh, which rehabilitates both man and mutt inside some of California's most dangerous prisons. To date, Positive Change has graduated more than 500 men and 300 shelter dogs and is active inside six state prisons 
Prisons and One Girl's Juvenile Prison, the only program of its kind in America. So uh, two, two great guests. So, uh, Zach, thanks for, for being on. That is a fascinating story. Indeed, I myself came to uh, dedicate my life to the betterment of animals after uh, pulling out of uh, 20 years of alcoholism and, and deciding to uh, spend whatever years I had left um, trying to take out some of the suffering I had put into the world through my own disease. It, it's amazing, and, and certainly I'm grateful for uh, your work. And, and Jennifer, um, you know, I look forward to getting notes, you know, how I might compare to some of the CNN folks you've, you've worked with. So be easy on me after this. You've worked with some, with some of the legends in the business. So glad to have you on the show as well. It's a pleasure to be here, and it's a pleasure to have you, Joseph on our team. Um, I know you've been doing these podcasts for us, but um, I don't know if you've told everybody that you've taken a more active role with our organizations and um, it's super great to have you. Well, yeah, well, thanks. It's, it's great. I've been a fan of Wayne and, and his work uh, for a number of years. So when the opportunity came to join him and Marty and you, uh, it was, it was a no brainer. I, I leapt at it. Um, the, the focus of the discussion I want to have with you relates to a, a rule, um, a regulation, uh, an order, Jennifer, you can give me the right term, that came down from the Centers for Disease Control in 2021 that in response to uh, a perceived or at least a, a broadcast rabies problem, dogs from 113 countries across the world were no longer uh, allowed to, to come into or come back into the U.S. and his fate and history would have it. This preceded our pullout from Afghanistan and um, many service people, many people who had helped us in Afghanistan uh, had to leave the country without their dogs. So Jennifer, um, tell us how your work to bring those dogs home, which you've called Mission Possible, evolved and where it is today. Okay, well, I'll start by pretty much recapping what you just said. It's in, in June 2021, the CDC announced dog importation restrictions that effectively, and with very few exceptions, cut off the ability of anyone to bring a dog into the United States from 113 countries deemed high risk of canine rabies. Now, in that announcement, there had been three noted cases of rabies imported into the United States over six years all of which came from Egypt. So the CDC's policy shift was formulated without input from or prior notice to the impacted community and, and for many people who work to rescue dogs from uh, the affected countries. So it basically, this decision, which took effect in early July, um, in the middle of COVID, thrust our world into um, an interesting form of chaos because not well thought out. In, in our opinion, um, people who were in different parts of the world with their pets who are US citizens could not get back. Um, diplomats, uh, members of our foreign service who were on missions overseas, who were based overseas, could not return with their pets. Uh, it was very, very, very disturbing, very complicated. Um, we, we got calls from all over the world and we're trying to help people to get back when the CDC said they couldn't. People were considering euthanizing their dogs and I'm, and I'm sure that that happened in many cases. Um, people were looking at extreme measures to go over borders <clears throat> to bring their dogs over borders illegally. Uh, it was, you know, and I had a friend who's a diplomat in China who I called the minute I heard this. I said, you better get out of that country with your dog. And, um, she didn't get out uh, on the plane she wanted to, and she got held in China for an additional uh, three weeks while all these um, new things were required, including tighter testing, which I'll explain a little bit later. So um, there was a lot of chaos involved. And also every organization that rescues animals from different parts of the world for instance, there are many that um, bring dogs in from China that are um, uh, rescued from the dog meat trade. And a lot of those dogs are purebred golden retrievers. Um, we don't have a lot of those in shelters in the United States. So they have, they're pre-adopted and they have homes 
um, in the United States before they even get, a, get on a plane. And that was shut down. The, we, we started to represent one AWA, uh, Animal Wellness Action, started representing uh, over 100 rescue organizations to try to work with the CDC to lift this, what they called a temporary suspension. Well, it is not a temporary suspension. It's, it's an all-out ban uh, right now. And uh, it's gone to what they call a, a federal rulemaking process. So um, the CDC is not speaking to rescues. Um, they, did, they did respond to some of our work and work of other good people when it came to um, getting diplomats and members of the Foreign Service back and U.S. citizens eventually, um, but it, they still haven't opened it up to rescues. So what happened uh, in late August, uh, the United States uh, evacuated uh, and left Afghanistan. And during that mass evacuation, uh, people were trying to leave with their pets. Many uh, members of our foreign service working in Afghanistan were not permitted to bring their pets with them. So for instance, um, people at the US embassy had to leave their cats behind and they left them behind on the embassy grounds. Um, working dogs who worked on at the American University there or, or, or worked uh, in, in other um, members of diplomatic service areas in Afghanistan, they were left behind. And um, one woman, uh, Charlotte Maxwell Jones, who's an American citizen uh, and founded an organization in Kabul, Afghanistan, uh, set forth, risked her life, and went and rescued those animal, many of those animals and brought them back to her shelter. And um, I'll leave it to Zach because Zach and I were tag teaming on this. Um, Zach is also works with us at Animal Wellness Action, has a role with us. And, uh, and both of us um, independently uh, work with SPCA International. So we started tag teaming on an effort to get these animals out of the country. And I'll, I'll let Zach explain the next part of the mission. Oh boy, yeah, what a mission it was. So as Jennifer, I'll just kind of spin off of what Jennifer said and, and elaborate. So in, in August, we were clamoring, just clamoring to get as many dogs out as we could um, from Hamid Karzai Airport. You know, we had, a, so, these are all animals that Charlotte Maxwell Jones and Kabul Small Animal Rescue had, had rescued. And come August, we were trying to get all of these animals out of the country um, to the best of our ability. We had scrambled aircraft. We had um, arranged for Edwards Air Force Base in California to receive animals. All of these efforts had, been, had um, gone underway. And Jennifer, jump in here anytime to kind of correct the, the time frame. But, but back in August, the first thing we were trying to do is as we were pulling out of Afghanistan, as the U.S. was pulling out and all coalition forces, our job was to try to help get all of the coalition forces' pets home as well. So as all the soldiers are leaving, as all the support services or staff are leaving, we're trying to get the dogs, dogs and cats out as well. We were as able charities. to get as, correct as, as, yeah, as charities, know. not not as the U.S. government, as charities to try to help the U.S. citizens. And yeah, so we had, so we're just doing our best to work really this ad hoc committee of as many rescues working with SPCA International, working with Animal Wellness Action, all of us really just jumping in to make any phone calls we could through the Department of Defense to the State Department to the CDC to try to get uh, animals out, out of Hamid Karzai International Airport, out of Kabul and to the United States of America or Canada. Um, we had an aircraft, we had arranged as much as we could. We had a receiving Air Force base here in, in California. We had really crossed a lot of T's and dotted a lot of I's and provided some opportunities. Um, and up until the last minute, at, at every turn, we were shut down by the CDC. So whereas on one end, we would get some hope and we, would, we, we had our end covered by getting the aircraft, getting the money, getting the logistics, understanding all the parties involved. What are, what are the logistics for the plan home, for the ride home? Where are we stopping? Where are we refueling? What's the aircraft we're going to use? All of those things we would have covered. And then the CDC came in at the last minute and said, 
be, because of our suspension, none of this is possible and we will not authorize any of it. So we had our hearts broken in August. That just mm. utterly devastated all of us. And mm. we never really, we never gave it up. We set ourselves yeah. to fixing this problem moving forward. So for the last, since August, our goal has been to work with Charlotte um, and other organizations in country to try to get as many animals to North America as possible to save as many of many pets and animals that were left behind as possible and get them into North America. Um, let me, so let me what, ask you this. Yeah, let yeah. me, let me ask you both this. Yeah. So three dogs, one country, uh, relative to rabies. Why is the CDC being such a hard ass or were they on this issue? Uh, they have not been able to explain that. Um, at least not, I mean, they'll say they have created a formula and uh, that's in the best interest. And look, nobody wants rabies in the United States, canine rabies. We just don't want it. <laughs> we all have pets here. We all love dogs. Um, mm -hmm. However, the formula, it's, uh, it's such an overreach. We really don't understand it. And the cost, it's, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's radically restrictive. I mean, the amount of the, up until mm -hmm. a few years ago, we were bringing a million dogs into the United States of America and some rescue capacity and some non-rescue capacities. But it essentially stopped international rescue. I mean, it, it put the, the skids on really incredible work being done all over the, the globe to push conscientiousness, animal welfare, animal rights. I mean, all of these efforts to a great degree have to go through the West. And if the United States of America just, and all of its resources, all of its rescues that accept dogs, all of its funding, all of the rest of it just kind of shut down, then where does that leave those organizations? Um, so it was, it was, and to have really no motivation, I've been flying dogs from other countries for more than well over a decade and been very cued into the rabies issue and have paid attention when it's popped up, whether there was a suspected case out of Azerbaijan or as Jennifer alluded to with the three cases out of Egypt, but this wasn't something that we on the, in the, on the ground had any sort of idea that, that a really progressive proactive measure would be in um, implemented to address. There just wasn't a rabies problem. We weren't getting all of these yeah. cases. So why on earth did this come to come to fruition? And I still have, I can guess and I can provide some, um, some, uh, some, some, some guesses, some shots in the dark, but that's what they would be. The CDC estimates uh, a million dogs are, are imported into the United States every year. Um, the rescues, actual rescue dogs that come in, are a very small percentage of that. So sure. um, it, it's estimated around 65,000 are, are rescues. The rest, when they are imported, are, are people, um, uh, breeders um, bringing dogs in, yep. but ma mainly people um, just coming back and forth with their animals. Many people go to Europe, many people go to South yeah. America, go, travel with their pets. So this is not, um, that, that million sounds scary and it, it's yeah, not it's a, a good, uh, good distinction to make. Yeah. yeah. It's not a million rescue dogs. And you're right, Joseph, you know, talk about, um, yeah, I've got a personal opinion about this, but I, I think someone should have lost their job over this because Absolutely. It, it's, it's been a huge, huge um, burden on taxpayers. It's been a huge burden on, on people who love their pets. And I'm dealing, I have, honestly, I, I crack jokes with my friends. Um, I have my first gray hairs this year, and now I have circles for the first time under my eyes. It's because <laughs> I'm like I'm like crazy about this. It's, it's the CDC. I blame it on the CDC because yeah. um, since June, um, I have like devoted my life not only to to doing the work, but then on the weekends, then at night, people have called me from all over the world. Can you help us? Can you help me? I'm, I, I, my dog is everything to me. And how can I mm -hmm. say no? I, I just can't. But anyway, getting on to um, now, let's get on to the great parts. Back, yeah, I mean, back to our story. Yeah, yeah, back, <laughs> back to the story. But I will say I will add to the story in, in that, um, you know, uh, Charlotte Maxwell Jones was always tr was also trying to get cats in. And she was able to get a truckload of dogs into the airport. Um, during the mass evacuation. And Zach and Lori Califf of SPCA International and I and Louise at Warpaws and uh, Charlotte uh, were on the phone um, regularly 
discussing next moves. And I was on the phone with uh, members of the armed service. I was on the phone with the um, embassy liaison, the United States embassy liaison, who was on the ground there with Charlotte. Uh, and, and we were pleading, I was pleading to let those dogs that were sitting in crates at the airport for day, day in, day out, onto one of the transport planes. And um, for whatever reason, um, we do know that we were not, we never received notice um, uh, from a CDC exemption. A CDC exemption was filed. Uh, all those dogs had uh, rabies certificates. Uh, all those dogs had microchips. All those dogs had health certificates. There was nothing that should have prevented them from being put on any plane. And on top of that, Zach and Marley's Mutz, his organization, had offered to quarantine. For instance, if the CDC didn't want, uh, still felt those dogs were at risk, um, then Zach had offered to quarantine them at his own facility uh, near, near the Air Force Base. So that is the length to which we were all rolling um, many, many, many sleepless nights, um, trying our best to have a, have a, a wonderful result. The result mm -hmm. is that the US um, armed services were instructed to, and this is a very important thing for people to know, uh, to release the dogs from their crates. Charlotte Maxwell Jones was escorted um, off the property of the airport and put back out onto the streets holding only one dog. Uh, mm -hmm. All the other dogs were released. There was no, uh, there, there was no life for them. There was no food, water, you know, uh, put out. There, the only no, chance they would have had, yeah. Th there was no promise for them. And mm -hmm. um, those were, those, this is very important. Some of those dogs were owned by American citizens and uh, who had been working for our government. They were good people and they didn't deserve for that to happen. Uh, and there was so much good being done to try to make, uh, make that flight happen. And just, it, it was heartbreaking for us. And I can, um, we knew what was going to happen. Zach and I, and Lord, we yeah. all knew what was going to happen yeah. and it did happen. And many yep. of those animals did not survive. We won't go into it any further, but to say that I will mm -hmm. tell you that there are a few things. I, Zach, we, we all see, I always say, we, we see things that you can't unsee. And our job, we've made it our job to do that so that others don't have to. But believe you me, um, I know that I will never be the same after, after having such a debilitating loss. But now to the happy part. And <laughs> now to the happy part. Well, well, hold on, Jennifer. I am a journalist by training, so let's dwell on the unhappy part a little bit, a little bit longer, because I want to make sure I understand exactly what it is you're saying. I want to visualize it, right? So these these dogs, they they were in crates. They were on the tarmac, if I understand correctly. And at that juncture, they were just ordered to be let loose. Yeah, and That's then well, I think unbelievably yeah. was this a U.S. general or yes or an Afghan? Oh wow! Okay, I think the idea Very was disturbing. That, that by releasing these dogs, um, you know, that would give them some opportunity to go fend for themselves, to seek water, to seek food. That they had no idea what would happen once the Taliban took control of the airport and those dogs were there. Would those dogs' lives be in danger? Nobody knew anything. So at the at the end of it, that was the best that they could come up with: is let's just let them out of their crates and, and see what happens, which um, ultimately Charlotte and her staff ended up going back to the airport over the last several months and saving and rescuing and trapping the dogs that were still lingering around the airport. They were able to capture and save a whole lot of the dogs that were let out. Obviously, many did not make it. Many did not survive. Um, but yeah, if you want, I'm not sure if you want us to transition to the next part of the story, but that's kind of where we pick it up. Mm -hmm. Well, let's pick it up. Yeah, so since uh, August up until February, all we did was work on trying to bring this mission to fruition. We never let go of it. And like Jennifer said, it just affected us all on a molecular emotional level where we were so disappointed by the bureaucracy of the American government and how illogical it was being in terms of providing us any measures to, to logically and rationally address what was occurring. 
so we just went back to figuring out a way to get them out. And Charlotte started sending her staff to the airport to, to gather up dogs. We started getting more outreach from embassy staff, from other interpreters, from all kinds of support staff that have been supporting the American, um, the Americans and allied forces in that region and uh, really just saving animals. So from August through January, she was set to rescuing people's animals that needed rescuing, whether that be some stray animals or whether that be folks, animals who belong to them that they had to leave behind. But that number just kept climbing. It, it went from 100 to 150 to 200 to 250 to by the time we were building our, our manifest for this second rescue flight, this Mission Possible flight, we had darn near close to 300 cats and dogs um, on this manifest ready to return to North America, in this case, Canada. So in order to get around the CDC suspension, this, this uh, uh, I must say, illogical uh, suspension that prevents us from bringing in dogs from more than 113 countries, um, we had to go to Canada. That was really the only option. So um, we had to coordinate a lot of different factors in terms of Charlotte and Kabul Small Animal Rescues Manifest. So all of the animals that were going to be on that flight, we had to know all of their details, all of their vaccination history, all of their microchip information. Those manifests really had to be built out well. We had to secure an aircraft. We had to secure refueling um, locations. We had to, there's a lot to have to get done. We had to secure a lot of approvals from the Canadian government in terms of the fact that we were importing that many animals that were coming from overseas. How long was that journey going to take? Etc. and so on. And uh, the pieces just started coming together. It started coming together in December, um, started coming together big time in January. Uh, we had our, our lists finalized there in basically mid-January. Uh, Jennifer's always been out in front of it, um, ready to kind of process whatever paperwork we need to, to submit to the CDC, etc. But we realized when putting together all of this, that we were not going to be able to go through the United States for anything, that getting exemptions was a, a moot point. We weren't going to get it. So we had to go through um, Vancouver and at the, by the, by the hair of our chinny chin chins, we were able to pull this off and, and come the, the end of January, we um, solidified uh, an, an IL 76 Russian cargo aircraft out of Russia with a Russian crew of eight Russian, you know, two pilots, loadmasters, support crew um, to fly from Kabul, Afghanistan to um, ending up in at YVR airport in Vancouver. And right up until the end, when we were scheduled to fly out of through Russia, so Eastern Russia, then Siberia, and then landing in Vancouver, right? So Kabul, Eastern Russia, Siberia, Vancouver, 30 hours ahead of that flight, because of the Ukrainian-Russian conflict, which was just warming up the beginning of February, they said, eh, you're not going to do that. You have foreign nationals on board. We're not allowing you to land. Despite the fact that this is a Russian-origin aircraft with Russian crew, you cannot land in Siberia. You cannot land in eastern Russia. You must find another route. So at the last minute, we have 300 animals that are going to be on this aircraft. We're ready to go. We're ready to push. And we have to find a way, another route, which means... Ankara, southern Turkey, and then Reykjavik, Iceland, which then means we have to find rescue support staff and crew, veterinarians, rescuers, people who can meet that aircraft on the tarmac in Ankara. So with no time left, we're just calling whomever we can. And we made some great connections. We have some friends, Devin Naz and his organization out there in, in Istanbul. They were able to make it down to Ankara, met the aircraft there, um, were able to... to administer to all the needs of all 300 animals on board. The Russian pilot got COVID. They had to replace the pilot while they were in Ankara. All these factors were adjusting and changing in real time. And uh, so, but we got out of Ankara, got a new pilot, got ourselves over to Iceland. That's where I met the aircraft. I had a list of veterinary needs that I had to fulfill while I was there. So I you know, paid a local kid 50 bucks to drive me around Reykjavik and pick up a bunch of supplies. We met a, a British veterinary team in, in Iceland to, again, same thing as we did in Ankara, treat the animals, make sure that they were medicated for those that needed to be medicated, make sure that we could perform individual checks on all of the animals, uh, make sure that any of them that needed to come out could come out, uh, that it could be cleaned, all of those things that you can imagine having to be addressed we addressed. Um, and then we pushed out of Reykjavik, Iceland, and uh, the sun never set. We flew the last, you know, whatever it was, nine hours to Vancouver International Airport and 
We landed. Um, everybody survived. Everybody did well. Um, we were greeted by you know just hundreds and hundreds of volunteers from a variety of different rescues that are part of this consortium. You know, from Animal Wellness Action to Thank Dog I'm Out to Rain Coast Animal Rescue Society to SBCA International. I mean, it was really a spectacularly orchestrated um, just just event. It was such a long, months long event that we somehow pulled off. All the animals were staged at the um, at a business center there on the airport, which is, was incredible because we were able to turn basically a helicopter rental facility, this large 17 uh, to 20,000 square foot facility, we were able to turn into an impromptu uh, animal rescue you know, shelter with kennels for all of yeah. those, yeah, for all of those dogs and cats to have the space that they need, uh, the the space to enrich, the space to be enriched, um, all of that. So since that time, since we landed in early February, dogs have been uh, being reunited with their families. Cats have been being reunited with their Afghan families. Um, cats and dogs have been flown and driven all over Canada and reunited, adopted. Um, and what we're working on now in Canada. The final stage in, in Canada. Canada. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, the next <laughs> exactly so the the primary variable that's made all of this difficult the, the running theme throughout this discussion is is the cdc ban and how complicating that's just made everything so we could have gotten right. all of this done in a couple of weeks had the united states been open to receiving any of these animals that's not been the right. case so uh, we have to really lean on on jennifer to try to provide these connections with the cdc and essentially beg you know beg them to allow us to reunite people with with their loved ones, with their family members. And um, so hopefully are, are we're these dogs able to come over now? Are these pets no. able to? Well, so they're still... it's a good question, Joseph. I'll tell you, um, I'll, I'll tell you what's happened. So these dogs all had their rabies vaccinations coming into Canada and the country of Canada allowed them all in any, any dog that didn't have a home was put up for adoption cats, uh, cats, for some reason, uh, no titers required cats could go in back to their homes in the United States and, um, and in Canada. And frankly, some of the cats are being shipped back. Some of the owners of these animals are not in the United States. They are in Dubai, they're in London, they're in Germany, they're in Turkey. Um, so we're, <laughs> they're going back, um, because this is just how it works. But the CDC requires that the dogs, only own dogs, are allowed to come into the United States. And so <clears throat> most of the dogs that belong in the United States with their owners, these owners are um, US uh, service personnel or um, Afghan, Afghan refugees uh, who have um, visas. Now, so all these dogs um, had to be titered they have to have a serology test that prove that they have antibodies uh, to rabies. And if a doc, if a vet's listening to this, go ahead and rip me apart. But that's that's the simple way of explaining to everybody. Okay. So what's just happened? We the those titers were done um, right when those as soon as possible when the dogs uh, arrived in Canada due to this rule by the CDC. Um, the laboratories all over the world um, for these titer tests are, are backlogged. So it's taken two months, two months basically, yeah, two months to get word of whether or not these dogs pass their titer results and can go into the United States. We just received um, the majority of information on Friday on the dogs and half of them did not pass. Therefore, those dogs now need to be revaccinated against rabies. They need to wait 30 days, according to the CDC. Then they need to be titered again. Then they have to wait, what, the lab, another two months. So we are, by the time all of this is done, they will have, they will have passed a six month quarantine period in another country. It is, it, and <laughs> these dogs, and these dogs are in kennels. They're in kennels. Yep. Ha having said that, they, they, are, they are loved and being treated very well. But I do have good news and I'll report it to uh, Zach right now because I spent the whole weekend, <laughs> I spent Friday, Saturday and Sunday um, working with people to apply for those exemptions because it's like filling out a Harvard application, everybody. I haven't filled out a Harvard application, but I can only, I can only imagine 
to get into Harvard. This is what the CDC exemption is like. It does a lot of it doesn't make sense. Redundant questions, repetitive questions. It's like a trick, yeah. you know. Um, anyway, anywhere from two days from now, Zach, to six weeks from now, it all depends on when the CDC responds. But you will have a caravan, uh, which you have kindly agreed uh, to make for Andawal, yes. who will be going to Washington State. Rosie, who will be going to her family who haven't seen her in over eight months, nine months to Colorado Springs. And Zeus will be going to Sacramento. Unfortunately, right. yeah, Remo and Diamond, who are both going to uh, Al Cajon and Mission Viejo, um, did not pass. Now, having said that, I'm trying to talk, talk to the CDC and ask them, you know, if we vaccinate them, will they let them in temporarily because they are, you know, we've got the Ukraine now situation and Zach's getting emails exactly. and I'm getting emails and I'm talking to people. And I'm trying to help them. People who are evacuating get to the United States with their dogs, primarily if they have family and they have a reason that they can come in. You know, we've got immigration intervening yeah. as well. Um, and Every uh, major department within the United States government ought to have some guidance. These are yeah. huge geopolitical issues, huge um, events that are affecting tremendous amounts of people. And to have, I mean, we would have understood it, right, Jennifer, in the beginning, if it's like, hey, guys, we're dealing with COVID over here at the CDC. This is yeah. the biggest, this takes up all of our bandwidth. We're totally overwhelmed. We just can't handle, you know, so here's why we're going to put a little wow. bit of a suspension on, or we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna limit things or put some filters on. But there's been there's no been no point of contact. There's been no one to explain it. There's been no one well, to that, adjust it as things become more reasonable. Yeah, and we naively, I, I'll say naively, because you know, I'm a good deed doer. I'm I'm a I'm a good girl. I follow rules and everything. And I think, <laughs> oh, they said they need more money. It's because of COVID. That's that's one of the reasons they use. Well, mm -hmm. uh, Marty, who you heard, and Wayne, and uh, Penny Eastman on our team, and. Uh, and, and all of us worked together to get the CDC um, an amendment. Three million uh, extra dollars, wasn't three it? Three million extra dollars. Three million extra bucks. Where did that and, go, guys? Uh, and we got a letter from members of Congress. So over 16 members of Congress sent them a letter and said, come on, lift this ban. You're, you're, you're stopping. It's bad enough we're dealing with mm -hmm. COVID. Now you're taking people, you're ripping people mm -hmm. and their families apart. Yeah. The and, bureaucratic um, arrogance is, is mind-boggling. It's just yeah, pure bureaucratic I'm, arrogance. Yeah, now I'm a, now I'm I'm keen to the ways. <laughs> Let's say yeah. it that way. But you know what the good thing is, uh, Joseph, is and and for everyone listening here, because I know you're probably riveted by by this story. But the the reality is is, and this is how all of us uh, who work in animal welfare at certain levels <clears throat> will. We don't stop. You do not stop when someone says no, um, no, it, it's not okay. It's just not okay. We're not gonna look away from the situation and from the get-go on this uh, Afghanistan mission. Uh, and I'm so glad someone named it Mission Possible. That is how, mm -hmm. that's how we roll. And I will tell you, um, I have, you know, when I was making calls to the owners and I started working on getting the owner reunions together, there are owners still in Afghanistan. There's one young lady and her mom. Um, they're being hunted right now by the Taliban. They're in an underground system. And I said, you sent your dog and your cat ahead. And she said, yes, because I love them the most. And I had the opportunity to do that, to, to make sure that they didn't get killed. And I'll tell you what, I've shed a few tears and it, it makes me, I, and you know, I've made calls for them. I'm trying to get them in, you know, to a country, not just the United States, you know, Australia, Canada. Um, this is a humanitarian mission. I know there's another point I want to make here. A lot of people will say, why don't you do this for people? I can tell you, we are doing it for people. This is, this yep. is, about, this is about love for, for animals, the, the love that we all understand, everyone on this podcast and, and the fact that we know that they, they are given to us as gifts and um, they complete our lives. They make, they create happiness in our lives. They get us through the hardest times right. in our lives. And um, 
we have a lot of hope here. And I know that I don't have one phone call. Uh, I was on a phone call with a man from Afghanistan, but who's in California right now. And uh, he's missing his dog so terribly. Two hours, two hours it took us to file online that exemption. And um, all he said, every, every 10 minutes, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing this. Yeah, wow. What, what an incredible story. Jennifer, it, it ought to be a, a feature film. It ought to be a book. It ought to be a documentary. Uh, this is as powerful an episode as is, uh, we've had uh, on the Animal Wellness Podcast just, just talking about this issue. When I was going through uh, recovery and dealing with you know the appropriate separation my my wife made my dog was my family she she got me through i can vicariously feel a little bit of the angst these people feel relative to the separation of of their dogs it's right now what's opening up is a potential just cataclysmic event involving impossible millions of animals i mean the ukraine is not a small country there's 44 million people that live there. And it's a pretty westernized country in terms of how they view um, animals, even how they view rescue animals, believe it or not. So we, we you know, the CDC is, is not done getting in the way of um, the lives of, of millions of people potentially here when, you know, all of these dogs that are, that are leaving the Ukraine right now and, and going into Poland and, and Romania are going to have issues getting, you know, for those who are connected to Americans or need to get into North America are going to have problems. And unless something changes out of the CDC, this is just going to become uh, orders of magnitude worse. Well, well we, I we mean, animal, go ahead, Jennifer, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know how much time we have, but I'll just say briefly, because I'm working on this right now, um, is that uh, these, these dogs coming in from the Ukraine are subject to the same rules and that they must have um, their rabies vaccination, and um, they must have uh, a titer. They, the CDC's got something up right now saying that they, they're waiving a 45-day rule after the titer is taken. No one seems to be able to interpret that appropriately. I've had some veterinarians look at it and everything. So the whole, the whole reason, and I, I want to make this very, very clear to people who are listening, I have loved ones over there are trying to get in. The reason why most likely that some of our dogs coming in from Afghanistan did not pass the requirements necessary is because their rabies vaccinations, they had had them done uh, a year before and not three months before. Apparently the antibody activity is uh, highest shortly after having the rabies vaccination. So if you're in Poland, if you're in Romania, if you're in Slovenia, uh, you the best advice I can give, if you're going to be there for a few months before you think you can get to another country, vaccinate your dog immediately, wait 30 days, then pay for the tighter result. There are laboratories in Poland, there are laboratories in uh, Romania, you just have to look them up at the CDC website, just, uh, I don't have the, I don't have it right in front of me right now, but, uh, and they will give you the laboratories that are approved laboratories, then you can fly uh, apply for the exemption to get in. And I'm sorry, I apologize on behalf of Americans. This, this is craziness to a certain extent yeah. because you should be able, if you already know, if your dog was already vaccinated, you should be able to come in and at least just quarantine in home. But that these are the rules and um, I, I wish everybody well on that. Yeah, well, we are Animal Wellness Action, so I like to give our listeners uh, an action to take. What can we do to change the CDC's mind, to expedite the grant of exemptions or waivers? What do we do, Jennifer? Wow, Joseph, that's the big question. I mean, we've had our lawyers working on it. We've had lawyers from all over the country working on it. And uh, uh, I think that um, the best thing to do right now is to pick up the phone and call your member of Congress, uh, your senator, your representative, and I am really just say, please, uh, you know, work to lift the CDC dog suspension. Uh, that you know, what that's what they call it, the suspension. So that is very, very important because what a lot of people don't really understand is it's a numbers game in Washington. You know, your your members of Congress they listen 
they, they have numbers. They tick little boxes that say, mm-hmm. oh, we've got another call on this. Oh, we've got another call on that. And what you don't see behind the scenes, like I've been working with a member of Congress's office um, the past few weeks on legislation, on drafting a bill. Um, and in that bill, they talk about, you know, uh, getting the ch- CDC to change up a few things that will benefit everyone. And so what will happen is if, if you've called your member of Congress's office and they see that you've called and this is what you've asked, it can be as simple as that. Um, when that bill crosses their desk, they might say, huh, you know what, I'll co-sponsor this bill because you know, I've gotten 50 calls on this one issue. Your voice matters. We know this, we know this, votes matter. And that's how that's using your your voice, your vote. Yeah, and and the number our listeners can call to reach the United States Capitol switchboard, ask for your representative, your senator is two zero two 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 four three one two one. I'll put that in the show notes as well. Zach, we'll go to you for a last word. I mean, I would just echo what Jennifer said, which is reach out to your you know your local members of Congress, your local you know, even your state. Uh, senators and representatives so that they can reach out to uh, to other representatives. But but make noise, you know, make noise on social media, talk about what's important to you. You don't have to do it in a necessarily belligerent or pugnacious way, but but be proactive and, and let your opinions be known. And, you know, for me, it, it goes back to what you were referring to about getting through recovery and missing your dog and that, that loved one that's there for you. There are tens of thousands of people that are going through this process whereby their government has stopped caring about their loved ones and isn't giving them any information on how they can learn to better care for or have a positive outcome for their truly a family member. So um, that would be my advice is, is use, you know, we can all make a tremendous difference uh, through social media. And, um, you know, that's what it's there for. Use it to, to, uh, to make some noise and to make your opinion be, be heard. Well, that's a great last word. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Zach. I really do appreciate you for just great information, a heart-rending story. And um, uh, Zach, I definitely do want to have you on the show again sometime to talk about your story and how animals helped you as much as you've helped animals. And thank you so much to, to our listeners for tuning into the Animal Wellness Podcast. Be sure to visit animalwellnessaction.org for all of our news and information and to sign up for our news alerts. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and we invite you to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or Spotify. I'm your host, Joseph Grove, and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Animal Wellness Podcast.